0: In 1869, a devastating gale ripped through the Maritimes dealing death and destruction on a scale which had never been seen before. For centuries after it struck, the Saxby Gale was remembered in Atlantic Canada as the storm to which all other storms were compared. Tales of the staggering financial cost, of the massive waves it brought, and the harrowing tales of near escapes were passed down from generation to generation. What makes the Saxby Gale unique, though, was the one man had actually predicted this storm a full year before it hit. He had desperately tried to warn people that it was coming, but his warnings were, in the words of one newspaper,
1: "...were treated as fiction of the imagination. But at the appointed time, the prediction was fulfilled. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard." the podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes, with your host and author,
2: Andrew McLean.
0: On Christmas Day in 1868, the London Standard newspaper printed a curious letter, which was soon reprinted in newspapers in Atlantic Canada. It warned that a horrific storm would slam into eastern Canada nearly a full year from then, on October 5th, 1869. The letter, written by
2: Stephen Martin Saxby, said, Kindly permit me to offer a special warning for the safety of mariners with regard to 1869 that at 7 a.m. on October 5th, the moon will be at that part of her orbit which is nearest to the Earth. Her attraction will, therefore, be at its maximum force. At noon of the same day, the moon will be on the Earth's equator, a circumference which never occurs without marked atmospheric disturbance. In other words, nothing more threatening can, I say, occur without miracle.
0: Saxby was speaking in that restrained manner of a British aristocrat in the Victorian age, but the St. John Globe newspaper explained what he meant in more simple words. The prediction was a worldwide
2: hurricane.
0: In his letter, Saxby urged people to prepare, writing.
2: In the meantime, there will be time for a pair of unsafe seawalls and for the circulation of this notice throughout the wide world.
0: Stephen Martin Saxby had been an engineer and a lieutenant in the Royal Navy in Britain. He had attended university in Cambridge. He had taught at the prestigious Greenwich Steam College and he had invented a way to correct compasses on iron steamships. In short, he was a highly respected and sought-after scientist and engineer. Was being the operative word in that sentence. He had been highly respected until he started claiming that he could predict the weather using science and the position of the sun and the moon. He published what he called
2: the Saxby Weather System
0: for predicting storms. He kept writing in to sailing magazines trying to warn mariners about storms. He kept writing letters to the meteorology department in Britain, alleging that he could predict the weather. So, while he had been respected once, he was, by the time that he wrote this letter, considered to be, well, to put it bluntly, to have gone a little crazy in his old age. The Royal Meteorologer told him to stop his investigations and to stop writing him. The meteorology department published a whole book refuting his Saxby weather system. His letter predicting a storm a year from then was widely published across the Maritimes, New England, and Newfoundland, but his prediction appears to have been received with a fair amount of hostility. He was considered to be, in the language of the time, a lunatic. Saxby had been expecting this reaction, though even mentioning it in that letter.
2: I am quite aware that in taking this step, I am allowing a sense of social duty to outweigh personal considerations, but I accept the consequences.
0: One month before the date of the storm, Stephen Martin Saxby again made his dire warning in another widely published letter advising coastal communities to prepare and fishermen to avoid the water. He wrote,
2: Could I save one life, it would be very cheaply purchased in making better known certain laws of nature.
0: His letter was published in the Maritimes. For example, it ran on October 2nd in the St. John Telegraph and Journal newspaper, but it was presented more as a curiosity rather than a serious warning. Meanwhile, in Halifax, local amateur astronomer Frederick Allison agreed with Saxby's predictions. And he also wrote into a local newspaper saying, I believe that a heavy gale will be encountered here on Tuesday next
1: the 5th October, beginning perhaps on Monday night, possibly deferred
0: as late this Tuesday night. But between those two periods, it seems inevitable. As the date of the predicted storm grew near, not everyone casually dismissed the warnings. A young J. Clifford Campbell from the small farming community of Little River, New Brunswick which is close to Fundy National Park, wrote that his grandparents had told him that when they were young, they had heeded Saxby's warning.
3: In October 1869, Grandmother and Grandfather had been married just 25 months and had a baby daughter. Grandmother was expecting another baby in spring. Grandmother told about how they were concerned when they heard about a terrible storm that was being prophesied by a man named Saxby. On the night of the predicted storm, Grandmother and Grandfather, uncertain whether the old log house would withstand the blast of the ferocious storm if it were to come, decided that their safest place to spend the night would be in a sturdy new log barn. To be on the safe side, Grandmother and Grandfather, the baby and Grandmother's sister Maria and Lizzie slept in the barn that night. During the night, the prophecy came true.
0: Two days later, the St. John Christian Visitor newspaper put out its first edition since the storm its opening line read
1: lieutenant saxby's astronomical calculations were based upon correct scientific principles at the appointed time the prediction was fulfilled the morning of monday was delightfully warm for the season and to the general observer was no cause for alarm but the sudden changes of the barometer indicated that a storm was at hand Early in the afternoon of Monday, the wind came in fresh from the southeast, and by 7 a.m. it increased to a perfect gale, and the rain came down in torrents. With the rising wind in rushed the raging sea, threatening destruction to everything within its scope.
0: The Telegraph newspaper wrote,
1: The tide threw boulders, stones, and coarse gravel right over the tops of houses. Whole families, young and old, women and children, including young babies, were turned out in the streets barely escaping with the clothes they had on and losing everything else, while, with the noise of the wind and the waves, the cries of men trying to save their property and the wailings of women and children presented a truly appalling scene.
0: When it crashed into the Maritimes, what became known later as the Saxby Gale brought winds of over 100 miles an hour and the highest tides that had ever been seen. Luckily, the Maritimes' two economic powerhouses... Halifax and St. John were largely spared. However, the storm brought massive devastation to small fishing communities and to farms near the coast. In fishing communities, lobster traps and fishing gear stored on the coast were washed away. Boats disappeared. The large boulders painstakingly piled up as breakwaters were destroyed, quickly followed by wharves and boats. While the scale of the storm would have been devastating anywhere, it was particularly so in the Maritimes because of a unique trait about farming in this region. A great deal of the Maritimes is covered in salt marshes. As far as farming goes, salt marshes are worse than useless. They will actually kill most crops planted there. However, way back in the 1630s, the earliest European settlers, the French, discovered that if they blocked off the salt marshes and they drained them, the soil was so rich that they could farm them without having to use any fertilizer. The dams that they built to stop the salt water from getting into their farms were called dikes. This ingenious way of quickly clearing and farming extremely rich soil made early European settlements in Canada possible. Even in 1869, those dikes still held back the salt water. And if the dikes failed, then the salt water they were holding back would come rushing in, killing the crops, devastating the farmland, ruining the farmers' livelihoods, and risking food shortages across the region. Over the next two days after the Saxby Gale hit, a staggering 300 millimeters of rain fell. One by one, all over the maritimes, the dikes collapsed. Salt water came rushing in, and in minutes, the painstaking work that had been built over 200 years was washed away. In Windsor, Nova Scotia, the Halifax Chronicle reported that. About 11
1: o'clock Monday night, four dikes near Smith Island gave way, and 10 minutes after, where the lowlands for miles
0: around were flooded. The tide rose four feet higher than it was ever known before. Bridges were carried away and destroyed. The Amherst Gazette reported from Cumberland County, Nova Scotia that the dikes had held until a single great wave smashed them open.
1: At half past ten o'clock on Monday night, the dikes overflowed, the water having already greatly accumulated to the depth of one to two feet, a wave similar to the tidal bore swept up with a rearing noise, and a great velocity, carrying almost everything before it. Stocks of hay, fences, and in many cases,
0: well-filled barns. Speaking of tidal bores, the famous Moncton Tidal Boar on the Pettikodiak River that day was estimated to have been 10 feet high. It destroyed the bridge linking Riverview with Moncton. Moncton's dockside warehouses were washed away, destroying key stables like flour, salt, and other perishables. Of course, the thing about storms is that they're not exactly fair. It's completely random whose life is devastated and who gets spared. And that's why natural weather phenomena are so terrifying for humans. Despite being right in the geographic center of the storm, Fredericton was entirely spared serious damage by the Saxby Gale. Although, according to this curious report from the Daily Mail newspaper, perhaps one rooster might beg to differ.
1: There were no fatal accidents in Fredericton, but old-time truck driver Paddy McGarrigal, who was loading barrels from the wharf, was blown into the river. He was rescued. Most of the barrels, which contained apples, were blown into the river and floated downstream. They were not rescued. One henhouse was blown into the river and floated
0: gaily down on the turbulent waters while a rooster crowed from a pinnacle on the roof. Meanwhile, in Nova Scotia, according to the Amherst Gazette, An old man named Stewart, belonging to Minity Point was in the habit of spending his nights in a barn there. On the
1: terrific night, finding the barn afloat and breaking up, he succeeded in clinging to a passing haystack. After being for some time at the mercy of the wind and the tide, Hope almost failed as he was fast-born seaward. When his life buoy grounded on the top
0: of a dike, seemingly on the brink of destruction, he was rescued by means of a boat on the following day. Seventy years later, Willard Rye, then a young man from Tantramar, reminisced. One particular incident happened in which a mare and her nursing colt floated on a haystack bottom across the Bay of Fundy to Rockport, alive and well. An Albert County, New Brunswick legend tells of a young married couple building a farmhouse and arguing over which way their window would face. The bride wanted it facing north because she liked the view, but the groom wanted it facing south because it would keep the house warmer in the winter. The groom built the window to the south, despite his bride's wishes, and the bride angrily stormed off to stay with her mother. Then the Saxby gale hit. When the worried bride returned home to check on her husband, she found that the whole house had been rotated around by the storm, and now the offending window was facing north, just like she had asked for. As for young J. Clifford Campbell's grandparents... He wrote that
3: Never had they known the wind to blow with such fury. As the hours passed, the storm died down. The new barn had stood the test of the severe blast of the gale. In the morning, they ventured forth to survey the damage. Grandmother said she was surprised to see the old log house was still standing. The porch had been ripped off the house and carried a hundred yards behind the house where it had been caught up in the trees at the edge of the cleared land.
0: The Saxby Gale and the damage that it wrought marked a huge crisis for the then brand new country called Canada. It also offered something of an opportunity for the leaders of Ontario and Quebec to try and get the reluctant Maritimers to embrace the new country that they had rather reluctantly joined one year earlier. You see, from the Maritimers' perspective, joining Canada had not been part of the plan. The leaders of Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island had gone to Charlottetown to discuss forming Maritime Union, which means their three colonies uniting into their own country. Leaders of Ontario and Quebec had insisted on coming to Charlottetown too, claiming that they would be mere observers. Much to the Maritimers' surprise, their leaders returned from Charlottetown no longer talking of Maritime Union, but rather talking about forming some new country called Canada with Ontario and Quebec Few maritimers wanted this, but they were forced into it anyway, less than two years before the Saxby Gale hit. In the wake of the storm, the Maritimes were devastated. This was a time before there was any kind of insurance, and not only individual farmers, but entire communities were completely and utterly ruined. A Windsor, Nova Scotia newspaper wrote 10 days after the storm,
1: the floods have abated. On Tuesday, the last field was left dry, and now nothing but a barren scene meets the eye in every direction. The beautiful green afterfeed of the dikes is turned into a muddy green marsh, which produces an unhealthy, dismal fog and a sickening smell. Fences are lying strewn in every direction. Haystacks are racked and ruined. Occasionally, the carcass of a dead animal is seen bleaching in the sun. The town dyke of Avondale will not be repaired. It will not pay for the trouble. The structure will be abandoned.
0: Willard Rye later reminisced that in New Brunswick, When the Great Saxby
1: tiding Gale came on October 4th, 1869, anything that was loose had moved, barns and even small schooners, were driven up on high land and dikes were torn down in all directions.
0: Farmers lost nearly all. The Ontarians and the Quebecers' ingenious solution was to not only rebuild the dikes, but to get railway companies to run brand new train tracks along the waters on raised beds where the old dikes used to stand. The new railway beds would not only act as new dikes, but would be constructed by hiring local people. They would bring economic prosperity to the region and would link the Maritimes more closely with the rest of Canada, which would lessen the rather intense anti-Canadian attitudes of New Brunswickers and Nova Scotians back then. As for Stephen Martin Saxby, he enjoyed a sudden reversal of fortunes, Overnight, going from an often mocked and ridiculed figure to becoming a celebrated and respected scientist. He would die shortly after, at the peak of his fame and of his prestige. But here's the plot twist. Although he had indeed correctly predicted the storm which bears his name down to the hour, it was actually just a coincidence. The moon cycles that he spoke of don't actually cause storms, and his Saxby weather system was not accurate. And this is most certainly not used today.
3: Jay Clifford Campbell, voiced by Jack Green.
2: Stephen Martin Saxby, voiced by Josh Green.
1: That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard.
3: by Jordan Lousier.